You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. That's Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode. A uh, big episode for you today. Lots of shit going on. Lots of thoughts. I've been sick in bed for the last few days, so lots to think about. <laughs> that is the the blessing in the skies, if you will, of uh, of a minor illness is that, you know, you just, you know, it's going to pass. But in the meantime, you can think about shit that you don't normally uh, think about. But first, I am excited, excited uh, to announce that I am finally recording my first hour of stand-up. I'm doing a stand-up special and I am ramping up for it. Come see me perform the hour that I'm locking in. I'm going to be filming it pretty soon. So uh, kicks off April 13th through 15th, Brea Improv. Uh, get your tickets at thousandranch.com, April 28th and 29th, Sacramento at the Punchline. There's still a few tickets left, but they're going pretty quick. I'd get them now if I were you, if you're going to go. May 4th and 5th, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, Stand Up Live, and Jeff Tate will be joining me that weekend. That should be super fun. May 19th and 20th, New York City, Gotham Comedy Club. Can't wait to do that one. I have never done that one. June 1st through 3rd, Denver Comedy Works, the downtown in, uh, well, in Denver, Colorado. June 16th and 17th, San Francisco at the Punchline. Come see me. And then, and then I tape it. Oh my gosh. Oh my, oh my God. Oh my God. Um, Amazon. If you shop on Amazon, I hope you do. Please use my banner. Go to that Steve Bro podcast. Dot com. Click on the banner at the bottom of every post. Do your shopping as you normally would. It kicks back some change to the show. What else? That's Deep Bro. Official t-shirt now for sale at TomSegura.com on his merch page. Look, I do it there because we already have a store. You know how fucking annoying it is to set up a store, a whole new thing for one fucking shirt. Don't give me any cuff. Okay. Okay. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silence. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Let's roll into it. A lot of shit going on, guys. We got a lot to go to. Um, I was watching that show, Big Little Lies. I watched like every episode while I was ill this week. If you haven't seen it, um, gosh, what a good show. My friend Sarah Burns is in it, so I, of course I had to watch it. Reese Witherspoon, um, <clears throat> what's her beautiful name? You know, the one married, used to be married to Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman. You know, fucking Lisa Bonet's daughter who's like, just looks just like her and is gorgeous. Everybody, everybody's in it. It's a fantastic show. But anyway, they played this song and it, it got me. Oh, big thanks for the snore, Bitsy. Okay, let's get into it. Hey, 
All right. That's it. Welcome to That Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for watching this episode on YouTube or maybe downloading it. Um, yeah. Anyway, that song was from Big Little Lies. A, a f- great show. I never get hooked into these like uh, lady shows enough. I've, I feel like I should. And uh, it was really good. And then I watched um, Reality Bites last night, a movie a movie that was made in 1994, the year I graduated from high school. So the the cast is supposed to be like five years, four years ahead of me. And I was like, dude, this is crazy because the world in 1994 was like another dimension. Like it's only 20 years, right? Is that how many years it's been? You know, give or take 20 years since that um movie was made and the entire landscape of the world looks completely different now. And, you know, it's funny because back then in that movie, there's this whole tone of like anti yuppieism and anti consumerism. You have Jenny Garofalo, who's my fucking idol and hero. And I don't, I don't give a shit normally about meeting, um, famous people. I fucking don't care. But I met Jeanine Garofalo once backstage at a show in Austin and I had to like, uh, pretend like I was cool. Like, Oh, Hey, Oh, Hey Janine. We're both comedians. This is cool. Um, I lost my shit inside, but Jeanine Garofalo, Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, and then some dude with glasses and mom jeans, like who the fuck knows who that guy was great though. He did a great job. Uh, but uh, there's a part where, so Winona Ryder's character is filming all of them for essentially what becomes the real world, right? Ben Stiller, the douchebag yuppie she's dating kind of steals the idea and it turns it into the real world. So that's on the precipice of, of reality television. Um, yeah, because by 94, like I know the real world had been out since what, like 92. So things were beginning to shift. But that movie, there's a, there's a part where Winona's filming them all getting high and, and having fun. And all of them are like, get the fucking camera out of my face. Why are you filming this? Does does every moment need to be documented? Do we have to like record everything? And it's so funny, the the resistance to being recorded. (laughs) Just 20 years ago when people had a healthy sense of, um, of boundaries and the public versus private which is so fascinating because that's completely been dissolved. You know, I think reality bites was in a pre panopticon society where, you know, there's the watcher and there's those who watch. And what's interesting is now we're all being watched all the time. Ironically, I'm being watched right now on YouTube by God knows who God knows where and what part of the world in fucking Sri Lanka. Somebody could be watching this. And it feels weird in the beginning. And then you push through that weirdness and you just keep doing it. And here's the thing. It's oppressive kind of at one time. Now, I've been raised uh, being on reality shows. So I'm kind of used to people seeing what I'm doing and whatever. So you're at one time being observed. And now here's the wackiness of today is that we're also simultaneously the watchers. So not only are we kind of oppressed by this whole system of watching, but it's a self-imposed prison. It's that uh, that weird thing, the panopticon. I keep bringing that up. Uh, Jeremy Bentham originally came up with that idea of, 
I've bought this idea up a million times on this show because I think it's so indicative of our era. This is today. This is now. The Panopticon is the idea that there's a watchtower and there's a prison, right, that's built around this watchtower. And the Panopticon functions and it works based on the idea that at any given time, there could be somebody in that watchtower watching the prisoner, right, who's all all around it. So there's all views. Everything can be seen all the time. And the Panopticon works. And the genius of the Panopticon is that there doesn't need to be a watcher, in order for it to function and people kind of stay in line. That's the theory that you behave better thinking that you're being surveilled. Now, what does that do when it's just regular life? Like we're constantly being surveilled and we're constantly surveilling each other. And I don't know, like in some regards, you, I watched that movie and it was time travel. It was, it was like going back to, I mean, it felt like the 1800s, (laughs) a time when people just had conversations and nobody knew about them on a podcast or, you know, it was, it harkened back to like 1999 when your friends would come over and you would just drink and have great conversations with other comedians and there were no microphones to capture it and upload it as a podcast. Um, You know, an era where things just happened and not everybody knew about them all the time. So it was uh, kind of a kind of a historical thing, and it's I don't know. It must be wild to be. What is that? Oh my gosh! I'm <laughs> sorry. That was my music. Oh my god! I thought I was losing my mind. Oh, I just had a total uh, acid flashback. Oh my god, Lollapalooza. 1991, right? I took two tabs instead of one. I really should have only taken one tab of acid. (laughs) Had to leave during Susie and the Banshees Cascades. Regret that. (sighs) Their hands are on my throat. Okay. Um, So there we go. Ethan Hawke was really cute. Wow. I wasn't into him. And it's funny, at the time when Reality Bites came out, I was like, whatever, whatever they're trying to capture like our youth culture and they're not doing it right. Like we're so much cooler than Winona, even though Winona and Janine are like the coolest. But at the time I thought, Oh, this is so contrived. And now I'm watching it as a 40 year old nerd mom. Like, wow, look at that. Look at these kids. They're just so cool. Everybody's smoking cigarettes and full of angst. Ethan Hawke is reading being in time in a diner. (laughs) I don't know who's got the wherewithal to read Heidegger in a public area. You've got to be a real genius shit excuse me so i have a cold this week you see my fancy uh kleenex i don't believe in buying kleenex i feel like that's another racket what's the difference between kleenex and high-end toilet paper the fact that they cut it differently and put it in a box screw you screw you kleenex industry i'm sticking to my toilet paper and i do like uh I do it like an old um hungarian grandmother my grandmother used to do i've been doing this around the house I hide it in my bra and my bra so when I'm with my son I just there you go (laughs) reach for my snot rag yeah see grandma knew a lot right grandma ancient uh Hungarian wisdom can't go wrong Ah, so I have a fucking cold a motherfuck cold my son's had two this month so I finally caught it and as you know if you've listened to me over the years I never get sick. I never get sick. I never get sick because I believe that sickness is a character flaw. It's a deficiency 
uh, of morality and of strength, of personal strength. It's a sign of weakness if one gets a cold or a stomach flu or uh, some kind of food allergy. I don't have these things, okay? I'm not allergic to shit, and I seldom, I haven't had a cold in, I would say, two years, more, more. Um, I don't get flus. I don't get these weakness, these personal weakness things because my mind is strong. And because I have cockroach DNA, I'm Eastern European. Uh, we have survived wars. We have survived the Germans. We have survived the Russians, um, the Huns. Wait, we are the Huns. Who else did we fight? <laughs> I forget. Whoever Hungary has fought with. My ancestors are strong. And I know what happened. I know what happened with this cold. I know how I got it. Um, it's through weakness. It's through, uh, no, here's, here's really what happened. And I, and I know this. it's interesting because I'm going to get into this um, with a question that comes up on the show. But, you know, there has to be balance in one's existence. You can't just say fuck it all the time and go party. You can't just work all the time because that's depressing. You can't be one thing all the time ever because that sucks, right? Like they're, the stay-at-home moms are miserable because they're with their kids 24-7. The working moms are whatever, guilty because they're not with the kids. You know, there's, there's balance. There must be balance. There has to be some balance in life. And I noticed on my calendar because I usually schedule one personal day a week. One day a week where I go to the spa or I go and do one thing that is just restful. I just rest for one day a week, okay? Okay? And I noticed the last month I hadn't done it. I hadn't scheduled my day of rest. And the freaking minute I was thinking to myself, you know, Christina, you haven't had a, a day down in three weeks. What happens? Boom! I get these sicknesses. Boom! I got the AIDS. And that is because I wasn't balancing things. You know, you have to do the balance. You have to sleep. You have to eat. You have to exercise. You have to work. You have to rest. You have to have fun. I never have fun. I never have enough fun. I don't, I don't, I don't even know how people really have fun once you're past the age of like fucking 30. No, 25. I think fun ended when I was like out of college. Just, you know, reality sets in and you're like, oh, I gotta pay rent. I, I don't know how people um, relax. You know, I, I, I love like characters. Uh, um, I've always I've loved Blythe Danner. I've talked about this a lot. These characters. Uh, who else? Oh, you know, you ever watch uh, Frankie and What's It Shit on um, on Netflix? The two. It's basically the odd couple with uh, with fucking Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin. I love those two as well. And Lily Tomlin's character is like the freewheeling hippie, you know. And in my heart, I want to be. Lily Tomlin, I'm always like, oh, I'm the freewheeling kind of holistic, just easygoing, <laughs> you know, fly by the seat of my pants, just fucking whimsical woman. And I'm not, I'm really not like it, it really, I work so hard to be remotely like that. And the, the truth is I really actively work at not being an anxious fuck you know it, it takes a whole regimen for me it takes working out it takes meditation it takes active sleeping it takes by active i mean like scheduling and then sleep if i miss it one night because the kid like i have the nanny here i fucking sleep it takes scheduling my life and uh and i have it and i didn't do it and look what happened see my body was like uh-uh uh-uh 
no boo boo, you got to slow that shit down. So, so I slowed it down and I took a break and I watched, um, I watched TV and I thought about stuff. Um, yeah, it's funny because my friend who worked on that show, oh shit, I don't want to out this. Anyway, there's, we're talking about one of the actresses and, um, and it's so funny because I've heard uh, I've heard this. Have you ever heard this before? Where people are like, "Oh, that actor doesn't like talking to people. Uh, he's really shy, or she's really shy. A shy actor. It's like such bullshit, right? <laughs> Have you ever? I can't. I don't. I just get. Maybe I can't wrap my head around the idea of somebody being a performer for a living, and then oh, they're just shy uh, in public. Which I think the truth of that is shy is a code for I don't want to talk to you. I don't really enjoy talking to people. So please don't talk to me, (laughs) which I respect, you know, like just say I don't like talking to people. But this whole shy horse shit. I mean, uh, first of all, like, have you ever heard of a fucking shy comedian? No, because we're you got to be extroverted a little to do this. Same with acting. Acting is really hard. People think comedy is hard. It is, but. I think acting's hard because you have to be vulnerable and, you know, manufacture feelings uh, in front of a lot of people. And auditioning is torture. If you've ever auditioned for something, you know what it feels like to be uh, naked and horrified. It's just, it's just like having your pants down and grabbing your ankles the whole time. It sucks. So for an actor to claim, oh, I'm just, I'm so shy. Like, bitch, no, you ain't. No, you're not fucking shy. You're just kind of antisocial, which a lot of us are. A lot of showbiz people are antisocial. That's why we do this for a living. Okay. Can you see me fucking doing your taxes? Oh my God. Or, or, or taking care of your kid or, you know, bullshit or, or, or cleaning your house or doing anything remotely normal. (laughs) No way. I've got too many mental problems. I can't do any of that. Okay. Okay. But I've got my life together enough. Enough. But I I lost it. I lost my life a little with the sickness. No good. I took my dog to the vet too. They need uh, a stupid trifexis refill, you know, the flea stuff. And, um, you know, one of my dogs is older, uh, Fifo, and his breath just smells like dog shit. It smells like a Chinese fish market. It's disgusting. And uh, we want to clean his teeth. And of course, um, the vets make you go through the fucking the whole thing. Well, he needs blood work done to make sure that he can survive the anesthesia. Oh, and, oh, he has a heart murmur. Your dog has a heart murmur. You need to take him to the heart specialist. And I got a referral. Next thing I know, I have a referral to a, a dog cardiologist. Yeah, I'm going to make that appointment ASAP for a 10-year-old dog, sure. And then uh, the the best is like, I mean, I will. I probably will. I say that now because I'm, I'm just cranky, but oh my, I, I mean, a dog cardiologist, is this, where, is this really happening to me? And then we tested his urine and we found that the urine sample wasn't concentrated enough. So if you wouldn't mind... Um, tomorrow morning when FIFO makes his first urine of the day, if you could just collect that urine 
that first urine of the day in um, in a Tupperware, some kind of a container, and just go ahead and bring that in. We can do a, a better analysis on that, okay? I was like, I'm sorry, what? You want me to collect my dog's urine as it's coming? Like, what are you talking about? As it's coming out of him in the morning? It's bad enough when they make you do the fecal sample where they hand you a, a tiny vial and they're like, just collect his poop fresh. Poop, dog, poop, put the poop. They can't call it dog shit, right? The, the feces, the fecal matter. Put it in a vial. Bring it in. Bring it in fresh and hot. And you got to go out there like an animal and collect your dog shit and bring it in. The worst is, is this now. And I haven't done it. It's been a week. I, I just can't bring myself to hover where my dog is peeing. And then she has the nerve to tell me, well, it's easier if it's a boy dog. He lifts his leg, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, sometimes when he's feeling like a he, when he's feeling like it, I don't know what his pronouns are. They change. They fluctuate. He's gender fluid. Who am I to assume his gender identity for the day? Maybe he lifts his leg. Maybe he squats. We don't judge it, lady. Just go ahead and put that Tupperware under your dog's um, peener. Go ahead and collect that fresh urine and drive that in. You can do that, right? Yeah, I got plenty of time to do that. That sounds great. How about I just bring him to you in the morning and you can uh, you can collect that sample, okay? Okay? <coughs> I'm shy. I'm a shy actor. I'm just a, I'm just a sweet little wallflower. Sure, I can be on the big screen and... The hyper super famous, but I'm shy. You're so shy. Okay. Do do do. Let's read some emails. Oh, we got to do our uh, intro. Why isn't this never? You want to know why you're all fucked up? Okay. So this uh, comes from this comes from a gentleman, a gentleman named uh, Hank. And um, let's. I'm gonna fast forward. Basically, he's got a mom. He's got mommy issues. Mom, mom drama. Mama drama. <clears throat> Which we all know. Somebody is an expert at mom drama. Okay. Okay. I have a successful career as a fourth grade teacher, about to finish my second year, and I have been asked to come back. I'll be starting grad school in the summer. I live with my girlfriend at the house she bought with her benefits. Okay. Anyway, he's got his life that's really going. With all this, my mother still says that she won't be at peace or tranquila, something sounds Spanish, until I have my own house. She often complains about me leaving her more and more alone. Even though I helped her with homework for her to get her master's in teaching, and even though I still help her with her evaluation essays, she says I don't do enough for her. My girlfriend recently turned 30 years old, and I went all out for her milestone birthday. Brunch in the signature room of the John Hancock Building, tickets to Aladdin Orchestra, etc. So now my mother says that she's turning 60 this summer, and if 30 is a milestone birthday, then 60 is twice the milestone. She tells me how her nephews are planning her birthday, but she doesn't hear anything from me. According to her, I am so dependent on my girlfriend that it is not healthy, that I have no life of my own. Makes me chuckle because she doesn't know that she is 13 weeks pregnant. So yeah, my life does revolve around her. 
Point is, nothing I do is ever good enough. I'm tired of her bringing me down. When I got C's in school, I needed A's. When I got A's, I needed to be in the honor roll. And when I got to the honor roll, I needed advanced placement classes. Uh, When I got that, I needed to attend college classes while still in high school. How can I get away from this shit? I hope you can shed some light on this, Hank. Oh, wow. Well, Hanky, guess who's got a PhD in this very topic? Oh, your main mommy right here. Now, if this isn't a page out of my own book, I don't know what is. Interesting. Now, if you watch the Disney film Tangled, I just watched it with the kiddo, and uh, you got to watch it because it is very similar to this idea of the, uh, the kid who's not good enough, the mother who keeps making irrational demands um, this is a big theme and I've, you know, I've addressed this question in various forms. I think over, over the span of this podcast, it's like a, it's a big theme and a, and let me tell you something. Um, if it feels shitty, it's because it is, <laughs> it feels shitty because it is. And that the neediness of your mom feels wrong, right? Like it's, it's yucky and grody. Um, <laughs> because it is kind of yucky and grody, you know, she's 60 years old and it sounds like she says that her nephews are planning the party. So it sounds like there's people besides you that can cater to her. So that's fine. And, uh, you're a 30, 30 years old. Yeah. You, you know, you're 27. Yeah. 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 Okay. Here's the deal. Uh, mom. There's parent-child love. There's uh, parent-to-parent love. There's peer love. There's all kinds of levels of love. And your mom has probably, probably, I'm guessing, treated you as a peer more than as a son for your whole life. Um, Something to me, it kind of reeks of like, you've probably never been a child uh, you say your mother's a single mother, so maybe you felt a little responsible for her your whole life. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. <laughs> um, so now you're 30 almost, and you're about to have a child with your girlfriend. Congratulations. That's amazing and awesome. And, uh, and yeah, your life is about to change, and your focus now needs to go on this new life, this new family. So there's two different families, right? There's uh, your family of origin which is your single mother that you came from. Sounds like you've got an immigrant background. Tranquila. Ay, mijo. I should do a lot of that. Ay, you're leaving me. <laughs> uh, and the fact is, is that what happens, and it's totally natural and normal, by the way, is that you are going to get married, you are going to have children, and your mother's going to have to let go of you and, and learn to have a different relationship with you. She's not going to just, I mean, here's how you can frame it to her is that, uh, look, mom, you didn't lose a son because she's going to feel that way. Trust me. It sounds like she's pretty not good with boundaries. So you're going to have to explain to her very gently, like, mom, I love you. I appreciate everything you've done for me. Um, you know, always be my mother. Nobody will ever take that role from you, but you're not losing a son. You're gaining a grandchild and a daughter-in-law. So the dynamic's going to shift. And there's a lot of moms I, I've heard have trouble 
adapting to the new woman in life. You know, you know, she's essentially in her mind being replaced a little by a new lady and that's weird and can be very threatening. And that's why mother-in-laws can be difficult in the beginning. I'm assuming. Uh, so yeah, if you explain to her, Hey, you're not losing me because she senses that she's losing you to this relationship, I think is what's going on here. Um, that yeah, she is kind of losing just you. And from now on, it's going to be you as part of this unit and you can integrate her as little or as much as you would like into your brand new unit because your family of origin is mom and whoever else. And now your family that you're creating is the priority and has to be the priority if you want that new family to flourish. Now, that's a sticky part for a lot of us that come from backgrounds, maybe uh, families that don't have healthy boundaries or whatever issues is that you really got to protect your youngins from the stuff you didn't like growing up, right? For instance, my mother, you know, passed, thankfully, uh, when I was pregnant, so I don't have to deal with this specific issue, but I already had it kind of planned out how I was going to protect Ellis from her uh, mental illness because she was very sick, I believe. So it sucks, dude. Uh, But I I don't know if your mother's mentally ill. I think she just may be having trouble adjusting to your adulthood. And that's really what that is. Um, A lot of parents do, especially I find that that's a very immigrant thing too, because a lot of boundaries are blurred in the, when you're fighting for your life in a new country, it's hard, hard knocks guys. So, you know, Hey, I encourage you, Hank, to think about the kind of life you would like to give your new bebe and what your values are going to be and what was great about your childhood because I'm sure there was probably a lot of cool stuff and what maybe you'd like to protect your new your bebe from and you know part of that is boundaries and stuff but yeah I don't know she sounds like she just is uh, she senses she's losing you and you can just tell her what I just fucking told you to tell her and there you go I hope that helps mommy okay Mm. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. So this lady writes in, I've noticed that now I am starting to see the light at the end of a tunnel of this high intensity work emergency I've been managing for my small office over the past three to four months. I'm growing concerned about how I, how I will feel when I'm no longer the one saving the day. I worked really hard to overcome being a workaholic about two years ago and was doing well, not getting too involved. But now that I have been forced back into working all hours of the day and night for the time being, I'm not sure how I will feel when I am able to disengage or if I will even be able to. I feel so revved up from the constant running around, putting fires out that even when I'm not working, I'm craving new, exciting, mentally stimulating avenues for my mind like it just won't turn off. I've already listened to the podcast S-Town twice through since Saturday. I don't know what to do with myself. Don't you dare say meditation. <laughs> I can't go without thoughts for even five seconds. Your mom's house is what, turned the t- is what turned the tide for me and my transformation from the preoccupied worker bee I used to be. But I had the whole backlog of over 200 episodes that I listened to nonstop for multiple months. Do I just need another couple hundred hours of something to listen to or something more deep, bro? Very good. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is cute. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, jeans, jeans writing men. Okay. So yeah, I understand that. That's, uh, that's a little workaholism, right? 
who doesn't have that in our society? That's, that's like, it's so funny. Cause, um, you know, I think I was one of those people that really prided myself on talking about how busy I was. I really, and now I hear other people saying it and I, I cringe inside for them. Cause I'm like, Oh, like don't do that to yourself. Like, you know, that that's a voluntary condition, right? Being overly scheduled, being too busy is a voluntary condition. Let me say that again. <laughs> um, and back to what I was saying at the beginning of this episode and why I'm coming to you sick with a batch of toilet paper here is that uh, you get, you must actively balance your life. In order to get your life, there's got to be active scheduling of a life. Now, I'm not going to advocate meditation for you because it sounds like that's the last thing you want to do. However, that thing we are most resistant towards or resistant to is often the road we need to take. If you're having a strong reaction to the thought of sitting down and calmly meditating, that's probably somewhere you should start. I'm just saying, because it's always the stuff that you're really resistant to is like, that's the heart of darkness for you emotionally. You should probably go there, but uh, I won't, uh, I won't force you to do that. So it's an addiction, right? This is all an addiction. The adrenaline addiction. Comedians are the same way. We love the thrill of, oh shit, what's going to happen tonight? Are they going to love me? Are they going to hate me? Is this bit going to go over well? Is my life over? Is it not? And, 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 and I think for the first fifteen years of stand-up comedy, that was the juice for me, right? Like, oh, I'm gonna, you're gonna fucking, I'm gonna get out there and the adrenaline of it, and then I would get back into my hotel room and like, what do I do now? you know, what the fuck do I do now? Like I've, I've just drawn this crazy high and you're like, wow, I really should cultivate a heroin addiction or something because I don't know what the fuck to do with this high. And it's very frustrating. It's very weird. I know I didn't do heroin. Um, I would just eat macaroni and cheese and watch hours of television, but nonetheless, that is a very valid addiction. Um, the doing addiction, the feeling that jolt of like, adrenaline and being useful and being important to people. I personally fucking hate it now. Like I can't, I don't like anything when it's too intense. I don't respond well. I figured out over the years to that situation, I get really worn down and really upset. So, I mean, look, uh, for you, it sounds like you're pretty aware of what's happening. So that's like a lot of the battle is a keen awareness of what the drama is and why you like it. I might ask you, what are you not wanting to think about? I mean, you strictly point out meditation as being the one thing you don't want to do. So something tells me you don't want to think, which is very dangerous because not wanting to think is what gets us into all kinds of addictions, right? If you watch one episode of Dr. Drew, of, you know, uh, rehab, whatever his shows are, celebrity rehab, you'll know that not feeling those feelings, not wanting to think is one way ticket to fucking being on celebrity rehab and talking about your childhood. So what is it that you're not wanting to think about? I invite you to go there, to go to the heart of darkness, because that's where probably this compulsion to keep doing comes from. It's where, where all compulsions come from, right? Everybody's afraid to think of the stuff that bothers them, the trauma, uh, and that's why you have a bunch of addicts and abusers and lunatics running around um, because people are afraid of looking at their own shit, uh, which to me is like, you know, I honestly, I, I, I know people are like, oh, Christina, you're so brave to 
look at your life and examine. How, how do you do that? Well, how do I not? I think is the real question because there's two roads. You can continue to suffer. You can continue to do the same shit to yourself that is causing you nothing but heartache, or you can turn the other way and look in and do some soul searching and get your fucking life, dude, and figure it out. And that, you know, if that's any theme on this show, it is a, the existential crisis and B, don't be a fucking chicken shit. Handle your life, get your life, look inside, figure it out. Don't be a, don't be a scared little chicken. Don't live a life full of addiction and compulsive behaviors. Cause you're too chicken shit to, to, to figure out why. God damn it. Get inside and figure it out. Think, think. And they say that philosophy degree was useless. <laughs> and it useless. So here's practical advice. Okay. So that's philosophy. That's, and I'm only telling you this because I've been there, dude. All the shit that I tell you fuckers, you think that I haven't lived it? <laughs> this is only, this is the only, this is only what I've done. I have no, I'm not a doctor. You should see a therapist. I say that every episode. I'm not a trained therapist. I'm not qualified in any way, shape, or form to tell anybody to do shit, but I, this is just what I did, and it's helped a little, and I'll gladly give it to you. So for you, my love, here's what we do in this Segura household. I'm telling you, it's the only way to maintain sanity, and this is the reason I'm sick, because I did not follow it. We have a calendar in our kitchen of uh, every week. I go and I draw up a calendar, okay? Boop, boop, boop. Sunday, Monday, every day of the week. And I have a scheduling. I have Tom's scheduling, my scheduling, baby jeans scheduling. Everybody's up on that board and everybody's needs get accommodated. Somehow it takes a little preparation and planning. Now that for me means mom needs, what do we say? One day down a week to get my life, to get my sanity, to get my rest, to get my druthers and to tune out. I got to, you got to power down. That means, you know, Tommy needs to go and exercise and go do his stuff. Baby needs to do his stuff. He's got baby school and emails to answer and, you know, <laughs> he's got, he's got phone calls to take, guys, voicemails to listen to. He's got books to write, songs, songs to write. God, he's so fucking cute. But actively scheduling because it's funny and it's like that took me about 38 years to learn because life happens to you if you don't kind of resist and push back, right? The flow, the waves just come at you unless you go, no, 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 no. Here's where this ends. I don't check emails past 7 p.m. I don't look at my phone past 7 p.m. If you text me at 7.05, tough shit. You're not hearing from me until the next morning. Uh, I'm in my jammies. I'm in bed by 9.30. I'm asleep. And those are strict, those are strict rules for me. I do early shows at stand up. I don't, I refuse. If I'm, if I'm local, I'm not going to fucking do an 11 o'clock spot. It's not going to happen. Why? Cause I need to go to bed early cause I have to maintain my health so I can take care of my kid and I can take care of my husband and me and my husband takes care of me. Blah, 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 blah. It's, just, it's an ecosystem. There needs to be a structure to your life. If you don't put the structure there, then life takes you. And that's the biggest uh, lesson I've learned in my entire life. So that is what I'm saying. And that's how you combat this workaholism. And it's depressing, isn't it? It doesn't feel fucking good. It does not feel good. No. It never feels good when you're doing too much of one thing. You always feel miserable, right? 
Yeah, I was. I knew it, and I was feeling miserable right before I fucking got sick. God damn it! You know, never feels good to do the same thing. Oh, it's the worst. Okay. Okay. Uh, here's the next email. Jessica. I'm a 25-year-old. I graduated from college two years ago, and since then I have been working for a worldwide corporate, a worldwide corporate a firm. I won't say what you do. I'm miserable working for this company. But over the one year and nine months, well, yeah, that shit down to months, <laughs> that I have worked, I haven't quit. I keep coming back and attempt to put up with their corporate bullshit. Long hours, 1940 scare tactics to make you work harder and against your peers, shitty managers, etc. Sounds great. <laughs> I am at the end of the line with this job. I don't enjoy the work I am doing or the people I work with. I feel uncomfortable and mad, upset, or sad all the time. What is mostly holding me back is that I have this fear. I know that it is irrational, but I fear that if I quit, then there will never be another employer ever that will want to hire me. The fact that I don't like this job is because there is something wrong with me rather than it just being that this job is just not for me. I know that both of the previous statements are irrational fears, and there are days that I don't understand and work through that they are irrational. But there are many days that I fall in a pit of despair and I think that I will never amount to anything and the rest of my life is going to be a struggle and that I am going to be a failure and never amount to anything. I know that you tried many different places to work before you made your way in stand-up. What gave you the courage to quit your jobs over and over? Why am I so scared of quitting this crappy job? Why do I keep working here even though I don't fit in and I hate slash loathe working here? How can I work through this irrational fear? All I want is a little happiness and balance. Please help me get my entire life. Peace and love, Jessica. Girl, Jessica, you broke my heart. You broke my heart. And I'll tell you why, because I can, I hear that you're, you're probably smarter than most of the people you work with, judging by your language (laughs) and your introspection level. And, uh, Wow, you're you're uh, you're a pretty interesting chick. I I think uh god damn it. I've had the same thoughts just you know. I think I think if you have a fucking brain in your head that you've gone through this, if you've had fear and you go, is it me? Is it them? Am I in the right place? Is this wrong? Am I ever going to do this? Can I tell you a Kardashian story? You're going to you're going to probably hate me for it, but this might shed light. So <laughs> I don't even know where. Oh, I was watching uh, the fat Kardashian. She got skinny. She has some show called Revenge Body. Is it uh, Chloe? I don't fucking know. Candy Kardashian. Anyway, Chloe Kardashian goes, when we were in high school, Kim was the most beautiful of all the sisters. And I remember one time she got dumped and Kim was like, oh my God. I'm never going to be able to date again. Nobody's ever going to want me. I'm never going to have a boyfriend ever again. And I thought to myself, oh my God, if Kim, who's like beautiful, literally, oh my God, beautiful, can like have feelings and thoughts like that, and she's like beautiful, then it's okay for me to have insecurities too. (laughs) 
the wisdom of the Kardashians. I finally found it. Now, if we look at that, if we analyze what's going on there, basically the fat sister is saying, dude, if Kim, Kim, who, who arguably she, she's indisputably attractive. Okay. I don't, I, I don't think she's beautiful. Um, if Kim Kardashian can think to herself, gosh, there's nobody out there for me because I got dumped by this guy. No other guy's going to want me. If that woman feels that way, well, doesn't that give you all kinds of license to feel however insecure, you know, insecure feelings you're going to have, right? And in a weird way, listening to that Chloe, fat Chloe, say these things was a little cathartic for me because I was like, yeah, I get it. All right. If the hot chick's bummed and she thinks that nobody's ever going to bang her again, then I can feel all kinds of weird about stuff I shouldn't feel weird about. And it sounds to me, Jessica, like you're one of the smarter cookies in the cookie jar at your office. And I guarantee you're going to find another job. If you wrote to me and you're like, me don't think, um, me can't find no job. Like I'd be like, dude, yeah, you're retarded. Just stay where you're at. You're not bright. You should give up on your dreams. But the fact that you are very articulate, introspective, funny, whatever, like you've got it and you graduated from college, you've got everything you need. You know, it's an irrational fear. That's the thing is that you're aware of it. And sometimes awareness is like half the battle, right? We're all, you're lucky if you're aware of your bullshit. Like that's, I just got to do an episode called how to get your life. I think step, step number one in getting your life is awareness of your bullshit, awareness of the chinks in your armor. And that's like, this is massive, right? You found the chink in your armor. So now how do I get over it? How do I get over the irrational thoughts and fear? Well, okay. You're right. Uh, Hold on. You're right. You're you're having crazy shit go on in your brain. (laughs) Sorry, it's disgusting. I know I'm disgusting. Uh, You're having these thoughts What's going to happen? At least the only reason I had the courage or stupidity to quit 22 jobs or get fired from 22 jobs in four years before I became a comic, not because I had this wonderful conviction that I knew I was going to be a stand-up comic and I, I was just following my passion and all that horse shit that, you know, the gurus, the self-help people tell you. I didn't know that. I didn't know I was going to be a stand-up. I just knew that, well, that didn't feel good there. Okay. I'm not a paralegal. That didn't feel good there. Okay, I'm not a production assistant. That didn't feel quite right. Something about that felt right, but no, not entirely. Okay, let's quit that job. Um, do I want to go work at a cannery? That was fun. I'm not quite there. It was really more about whittling down what doesn't work for you. And especially at your age, I think for career choices and for getting your life, it is, it's like a distilling. Because the first you know, 25, 30 years of your life, you're just doing what you think you should be doing. I think, you know, you're doing what your family kind of wants you to do, what your mommy, your daddy taught you to do. And that's all well, it's not a bad thing because your parents probably want the best for you most of the time. And so you're kind of carrying out other people's agendas and orders because that's what you were taught. So now comes the process of trusting your own instinct and which is why you have this fear and you have this irrational stuff going because you don't trust your core. You don't trust what is going on in your own mind, which is telling you, telling you, I can read the words back to you. Long hours, 1940 scare tactics to make you work harder and against your peers, shitty managers. I'm at the end of the line with my job. I don't enjoy the work I'm doing or the people I work with. I feel uncomfortable and mad, upset or sad all the time. You just fucking said it yourself. 
So listen to yourself. Read it. Read this email that you wrote to me. If you write down your thought, you, you say this shit to other people and you read it back and you're like, oh, I'm miserable. So why would I stay in a miserable thing? Okay. And then, then comes the second part to change. Now you've realized you got a problem. What do I do now? I'm terrified. I can't leave. I can't. I can't leave. So here's your problem. Here's your choice. You either stay where you know, you stay where you're comfortable, and it's terrible. Or you take that leap of faith, the leap of faith that we all do when we become who we're going to become. There was a day where I had to quit my last day job and become a full-time comedian when I was 32 years old. And I had a great job. Like I had a cush job. I had an office with a window in Burbank that overlooked hills. I was making a lot of money at at 32. I had money in the bank and I was all set to be, you know, whatever in that world. And I quit it and I started from nothing. So then why, why did I do that? Well, not because I'm brave, not because I'm, like I said, you know, I had a destiny. No, it's because the pain of where I was at was greater. It surmounted. It was, it was like a tidal wave. The pain of existing there was greater than my fear of the unknown. And that's what's going to happen to you. Eventually, eventually the suffering becomes too much that you have no choice but to leave and to go do that thing that you want to do or that thing. Maybe you're finding your thing that you want to do. Maybe you don't know yet. I think it's bullshit that, uh, by the way, not everybody has a dream. Not everybody is exceptional. Not everybody has to be exceptional. Some people are great at living happy, happy, quiet lives of structure and <laughs> and and joy and just clocking in. Clock. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. I think the idea that we all have to be exceptional is dog shit. That is such a disgusting symptom of our time that everybody's a fucking snowflake. Not really. I mean, yeah, you're unique, but... Not everybody's going to be great. <laughs> you don't have to be. You're only on this planet for a short time. You're really going to waste your fucking time trying to be a Bill Gates. Nah, you don't have to. Just just do the thing that doesn't cause suffering. You know, <laughs> you don't have to be. And that's another thing. Our culture puts so much pressure on you to be a winner, right? And that's, that's part of this too, the perfectionism of, well, I'll never ever get another job. That, that's perfectionism talking, right? That's a little bit of like, but I have to be successful. If I'm not successful, then I'm fucking be like a loser. I don't want to be a loser. I got to stay where I'm at because where I'm at, I'm safe and I have this job and this title and everyone, you know, blah, 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 blah. So there's the fear of failure. That's a huge thing too. Uh, but that's, you know, that just comes with age and wisdom and you're going to fail a lot. You can't be afraid of the failure. You just can't be afraid of failure. I mean, I've become one with failure and defeat and, uh, and, oh god i mean if i had a fucking dime for everything i've I've failed so much so much i remember i did that stupid show that was stupid it was on tbs funniest wins and i remember you know you did these challenges with other comedians and i don't know i shouldn't have done that i I like marlon wayans he's a nice guy but I remember one time, like I, I tried something, tried to be funny and it fell flat. Like I just didn't go. And, you know, of course it's a game show. So they, they bring you out and they humiliate you and you have to apologize or analyze why you did that wrong and why you shouldn't go home or whatever. (laughs) And I, I remember just saying to the judges or whatever on that show, like, yeah, I, I took a swing and I missed that's called comedy isn't it you just take a swing and you you miss every now and then 
and you just get up and you do it again tomorrow. That's just the nature of the beast. And it doesn't make you better. Or it doesn't make you bad. And I've, I've, I think that a lot of times we identify with our failures and we think that we are bad because we, we might've done something bad. And so underlying all this I'm saying is a fear of failure. What if, what if I don't do that thing? What if, and here's the thing, you've got a long life ahead of you. Long. Do you really think you're not going to find a job in the next, oh, 70 years? <laughs> you will trust me. And honestly, honestly, God, I sound like a porno girl. Honestly, some of the best times in my life in my 20s um, were, it was when I was in between jobs and I was full of anxiety and unsure. And I would take these like filler jobs in between. If I may recommend one thing, if you're going to jump ship and you don't have another gig lined up, I, I would suggest, by the way, practically just uh, get your shit together. But before I get there, we'll, we'll get to practical, but here's philosophical. Some of the best times were spent in between gigs because I would take jobs at really ridiculous places just to keep a paycheck, right? Like I would work at Starbucks. I would work at the Girl Scouts of Greater Los Angeles. I would work anywhere, part-time, anywhere. I'd find a job on Craigslist and it would, or maybe it was a job that would run out in a few months, or maybe I'd pick up, you know, whatever work, drive a fucking Uber. You know what I mean? You can do that now or Lyft or whatever. Um, cause you can, you can do all that now. There's apps where you can just fucking get jobs. And, um, those limbo gigs, you know, if, if you don't have a ship to jump to right now, take a limbo gig. You're only 25. I can't imagine what your expenses are. I hope you've kept your overhead somewhat reasonable. Um, but, some of the most learning experiences, the most learning, I'm not even speaking English today. Some of my best learning experiences have been through quote, quote, cruddy, shitty jobs. Um, I've learned more working at Bookstar in the Valley and Starbucks and um, a parking booth at the Department of Public Safety at my university, at the University of San Francisco. I learned more about people, about life, about myself working these quote shitty jobs than I did ever in the corporate world or, you know, in stand up, I learned a lot too, obviously, because every job is a shitty job in stand up before you're a headliner. It's a very <laughs> educational road, one might say. Um, but I also met really interesting characters and people that informed me about the world I live in, you know? So, um, you may want to take a break from all this unless you really want to do what you're doing for a living take a career break. You're young enough to do it. Go fucking work at Starbucks as a barista. It's a great company. I feel like I should be doing commercials for Starbucks. Go find a company you like, a no stress gig. This is for anybody, by the way. If you want to do something creative or you want to do a shift and you don't know what it is, don't be unemployed. That's so stupid. Don't burn the building down and have no net. The net is a part-time job that is low stress that you can clock out of and you then you work on your creative stuff or you work on the side project. So keep the money coming so you don't have money stress as much. Um, and you just relax, relax into that, that job. I, I'm telling you, Tom and I talk about this all the time, that my time at the Girl Scouts, <laughs> ironically, of all the jobs I had was one of the, the happiest times of my life. And we were so broke, my husband and I. But Every day I came home in a good mood because I, you know, helped a Daisy Scout with her new badge today, or I helped a troop, you know, deliver their Samoas 
I I loved that. It was inane and it was it was fun and it gave me a break from the grind of wanting to be a stand up comic and just helped me recalibrate a little. So you know you don't need to you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to put this much pressure on yourself because you know don't don't stay there. God damn it. Oh, okay, so here's practical. Here's a uh, here's cra- oh wait what did I have it? Okay, and also the addiction of anxiety. Okay, a lot of us get into anxiety and obsessive thinking because it's a wonderful way to feel like you're doing something, isn't it? If I can have this irrational fear, if I can really nurture this anxiety about something big, right? Then I don't have to actually do the thing to get me out of the state. It's a wonderful zone where I can just complain and, and become more fired up and fuck myself even further Instead of being like, oh, what can I do about this? So it's really a trap. The anxiety trap is a false sense of doing something if I have anxiety about something. So you really, uh, the more fear you, the more you feed the fear, the less time you have to prepare. Prepare, meaning get your resume together. Do they still have those anymore? This is the time you should be asking people, hey, do you know of a gig, a job that isn't this horrible place? Here's what I do. Start asking people around. Start asking around. Um, get your resume together. Start getting your ducks in a row. Start actively looking for another gig before you quit the current one. That's like number one. I've made that mistake. <laughs> Don't quit until you line something else up. Um, right? And just know that what you're doing is really preventing you from getting the thing you want because you're, you're spending time in panic mode when you could be in preparing mode. Action's always the best diffuser of fear and anxiety. And also read the book, Feel the Fear, do it anyway. Susan Jeffers, I've talked about this book before. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. It really is a lack of confidence, guys. All this anxiety and this fear, you're just like, oh my God, I can't do it, I can't do it. You can totally do it. Listen, you can totally do it. You can totally do whatever you want, especially in society today. It's not like it was uh, when I was graduating college and and people actually looked at your resume and we should go to this college and do that no one fucking gives a shit anymore it's a total it's a digital era no one cares you can you can invent yourself yeah i think i don't know that's what i did just lie just lie no don't lie don't lie don't lie anyways that's it okay i'm going to um i'm gonna think i'm gonna go see a movie believe it or not i'm gonna go i think i want to see train spotting too I've heard nothing about it, so I imagine it sucks because no one's talked about it at all. But um, I love the first one. God damn it, I love that movie. Mark Renton. So good. Let's do heroin and watch uh, Train Spotting. Okay. I'll let you know how it is. Thank you guys for downloading. Thank you for watching me on YouTubes. I, ap- I appreciate that. Um, I hope you have a great week. Don't get sick like me, it sucks. And, uh, and we'll talk again. Okay, mommy, email me at that's deep row podcast at gmail.com. That's deep row podcast at gmail.com. And wish me luck collecting a fresh urine sample from my dog's morning stream. That should be super easy and super rational, right? Yeah. Fuck that. I don't care. Let him just drop dead. Okay, bye. I love you. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with philosophize with
Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.